You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your favorite CCT personality, JTAC extraordinaire, embracer of the ridiculous face, and like the shortest operator you'll ever meet, Peaches. If you're interested in growing personally and professionally, check out SEI, that's Sierra Echo India. SEI is comprised of a cadre of 19 professionals in many different disciplines, ranging from pararescuemen to special tactics officers to police officers, doctors, masters in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, professors, and mountaineers. They have a wide range of people who can take you from a novice level to a tactician in no time at all. Based out of New Hampshire, SCI can not only host you at their location, but they will travel to you whether it's your base location or in the mountains of Colorado. Location doesn't matter, they'll be there. With a course curriculum ranging from medicine to mountaineering to firearms training and even leadership, SCI has you covered. SCI has nine different tactical courses involving advanced shooting and driving. They also have five courses based in medical, tactical medicine, prolonged field care, wilderness first response and paramedic refresher training. SCI also has 10 courses rooted in mountaineering, ranging from mountain rescue to tactical lead climbing, urban vertical assault, which is exactly as badass as it sounds, rope rescue, and pack-in, pack-out courses. Regarding leadership, SCI covers the military decision-making process, tactical decision-making, ethical decision-making, and along with psychological courses. You can visit them online at sei-nh.com or call 910-286-5170 or you can email info at sei-nh.com for more info. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready Podcast. You're in the team room. This time you only got Aaron and myself, but that's okay because it's still a good day. So we'll just keep trucking <laughs> on. Uh, Nobody it's never, like that. It's never a bad day when you just have Trent or, uh, you know, I'm sorry. Man, I can't. <laughs> that I can't was a, that's a Freudian, that was a Freudian slip, slip. Huh? How about that's that? That's a Freudian slip. It was. It's never a bad day when you have Trent. But hey, here I am. <laughs> oh, hey, Aaron. Sorry about oh. that. Hey, buddy. <laughs> Okay, so for today, what we've got for you is a, a nice little treat uh, focused around PJ specifically. And what we're going to do is we're going to kind of uh, compare and contrast the difference between uh, rescue squadron PJs and special tactics PJs. Aaron is fortunate enough to have done both. So, um, and we'll in the future, you know, we'll get a, an RQS PJ on and we'll we'll do the big debate, kind of like what we like to do with TACP and CCT. But this time, uh, it's just going to be me kind of lightning round asking questions uh, to Aaron on some of the differences that you can expect to see uh, between RQS and STPJs. So, yeah, too easy, man. I'm in. Let's hit, hit him up. Hit him up. We'll see how many I can get wrong and how you can flame me in the comments, everybody. I'm ready. Well, you should be used to it by now, so you're good. I'm totally ready, yeah. If it, I'll tell you what, if, it, if if four or five people don't send me a meme, I know that it wasn't spicy enough, so I'll, just, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> All right, so what we're going to start off with first is um, RQS mission sets. So what can an RQS PJ expect in regards to mission sets? Okay, so the RQSs all fall under the Air Combat Command, and they do all things personnel recovery in support of the larger Air Combat Command mission and other joint partners, right? 
So a lot of the classic PJ mission set is we're going to have a team. We're going to employ this team in a certain area. And if any aircraft goes down, if we have any isolated personnel, if anything happens in that area that requires our specific skills, remember technical rescue, ability to access certain environments that are maybe contested or, or denied, and then um, specialized tools in order to, to affect the rescue of that person, right? That's the classic PJ mission set at a rescue. But we also do humanitarian response and we also respond to global emergencies. So if you think the next big shooting war kicks off, there are rescue teams right now that are postured and ready to go out with all the equipment that they need to a bear base, set it up and protect the forces that are in that area. Solid. So what about ST mission sets or special tactics PJ mission sets? So this is a little bit different. Special tactics mission sets fall under AFSOC, the Air Force Special Operations Command. And what we do there is we support the larger SOCOM enterprise. We support the three main missions of the ST enterprise at all, right? Like the, the larger ST enterprise. And that's agile combat. That's precision strike. And that's personnel recovery. Now, obviously, PJs work inside of that personnel recovery really well. We have the gold standard for personnel recovery, but we have distinct missions that we can do or distinct capabilities, I should say, that support agile combat employment and uh, precision strike and personnel recovery. Part of that is being global access, right? So that means getting to airfields and making sure those airfields that we have access and placement for a larger follow on force. So a good way to think about this is a PJ that's working for a global access sort of mission on a global access team would go there and in, in tandem with their combat controllers and their TACP and their special reconnaissance. And we would conduct an airfield survey. That airfield survey is good then. And then if something were to happen in that area to tie it back to the rescue guys, we'd now be able to bring in the, you know, with the help of our ST mission partners, we'd be able to bring in those aircraft and that other rescue asset. Right. And that doesn't end there. I mean, you want to talk about like, at least from an ST aspect, and I guess this would be a question for me about RQS, but the, the attaching to your, you know, your Green Beret teams, your ODA teams, or your SEAL teams. So we already know that ST PJs will do that. How about the RQS yep. side? Absolutely. And it depends on if those teams need us. And I actually did. It's funny. When I was the first real taste that I got of being in that area and in that enabler of that force multiplier was actually when I was at the rescue. And we've heard it many times before. I have friends that said, holy cow, I'm doing that enabler mission, which sometimes they call ST stuff, but really they're doing that enabler mission. If there's a request for a PJ that's out there, 100%, you can service that from the rescue side of the house. Exactly. Because believe it or not, um, you know, the, the preponderance of PJs are actually in Air Combat Command on the rescue side of the house, not in special tactics. Um, I don't actually know what the percentage yep. breakdown is, but most PJs are in Air Combat Command. It's big. It's way bigger. I, I want to say, I, I can't go into specific numbers here, but I want to say one of the big three units has more PJs than all of the two series combined. It's not, a, you know what I mean? Like, it is just what it is for right now. The preponderance of force for active duty is the Air Combat Command. Yep, that's just the reality of it. Okay, uh, before we move on outside of mission sets, is there anything else that you wanted to hit that you may feel you may have forgotten? Because like I said, we're doing rapid rounds here for everybody that's yeah. listening and watching. So it's, yeah, they're all, I guarantee and I promise you that we're going to miss something. But just right. based off of a lot of the comments that we've had on YouTube and... Um, some of the DMs that we received, like, just feel like in general, 
Um, and a lot of it is by design. Like we hit a lot of the wave tops for things, whether it's mm-hmm. DJ, SR, Tech, uh, Tech B, CCT, that kind of stuff, because yep. a lot of the stuff is classified and we can't, like if we start going really deep into things, we're just going to lose you guys because you're, we're going right. to start using acronyms that even we don't, we know what they are. <laughs> right. We don't know right. what the acronym stands for. I mean, like it gets crazy. <laughs> so um, I love me a good TLA. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anything else on mission sets? So to think about this, don't think about going to a different place and, and that one PJ is better than another PJ. I hate it. A PJ is a PJ is a PJ. And when you graduate the pipeline, this is apparent because you can go straight to an STS or you can go straight to a rescue unit. I have I had brand new three level PJs. If PJs were different at the command, at the command level, we wouldn't graduate and be able to send them out of the pipeline right away. So pararescue has distinct capabilities. And once you get to your unit, you're going to focus on different things, right? I went to the 321st STS where I met you, my lovely best friend of all time. We were doing a different mission set than the guys and Gat, well, the guys at that time, because it was only guys, the guys that went to the 58th at Nellis because they were doing different deployments to a different area and they had different focuses. So the guys out at Nellis were way better at flying on helicopters and being in two HH-60s. And I was a little bit better working that enabler mission. Conversely, the guys that went to Cocoa Beach, Florida, they can do things like get into a space capsule or the guys that go to Alaska that get 2.5 rescues a week. They are the mountain experts that can do, uh, you know, basically rescues in the mountains of, of Alaska in true Arctic environments. So while PJs are different and we have different skill sets, depending on what mission uh, you're, you're getting after and what command you're working for. I really, I really want to say it like we're all maroon hatted brothers. So don't think about this like, oh, whatever. Think about it just like when you're comparing, if you're saying I want to work at an ST unit or I want because I want to be this type of PJ. No, no, no. That's just the mission you're getting after. It's like saying I want to be a PJ, not a combat controller, because I want to be in the pair in the personnel recovery realm and not in the strike realm like a JTAC, like a combat controller. Yep. No, you nailed it, and um, I'm I'm actually looking forward to the kind of CCT short that we're going to do later on, and we're going to just you know, hey, foreshadow a little bit later on. We're going to hit you know the three primary mission sets of special tactics: your global access, your personnel recovery, and your precision strike. So we'll go into detail with right. those, and we'll actually dive in uh, as much as we possibly can. So all right, so shift yep. gears a little bit um, when we start yep. talking about equipment from RQS versus special tactics. Let's just start with weapons. Are, are a lot of the weapons still the same or are there some that are in RQS that aren't in STS and vice versa? So it's a different sort of platform to get after the exact same uh, capability, right? While you may have the Mark 110 in the ACC side of the house versus the Mark 20 long range uh, precision engagement rifle over in, or the Sasser or whatever it is you're flying uh, or whatever it is that you're shooting, you're gonna have different pieces of equipment in order to provide you the same capability because you are working in a different command. SOCOM, the easiest way to think about it, SOCOM has different rules for what weapons you're carrying versus the ACC side of the house. And then the water gets even a little bit more muddied when you're talking about guard reserve, right? I, a great way to explain this, for the longest time, I when I got to, uh, when I got to the 58th, we were not shooting the Glock yet. We still had the old school Beretta. The only thing that Beretta is good for is to hit somebody with it. And hopefully it's not loaded. I swear. Right. So I was like, why aren't we shooting Glocks? You know, when I was, when I was doing some other training with some other units, you know, at one point we had SIG and, you know, then the modular handgun that's come out and some you have it. So short story, you're going to have the ability to get qualified on different weapons. For instance, at the STS, 
we took a high, uh, a high priority of learning even foreign weapons, knowing how to shoot an AK, knowing how to shoot rocket launchers, knowing how to shoot, you know, knowing how to employ mortars and direct fire weapons. You know, maybe you get into a, you get into a lot more breaching. I wasn't a breacher, but I've I've been on breaching events before, and you don't necessarily have that exposure on the ACC side because it's a different mission. Um, so I, I think that's the easiest way, especially talking about weapons. But you can apply that to all sorts of pieces of equipment. SOCOM has different things that you're like, hey, you're allowed to use this. Where ACC may may say, no, you're not allowed to use this because the Air Force has its own program. Parachutes are a great example, right? So the parachute, you'll see differences in each three commands, and they, they all get after different things. Yeah, it's actually on my next list was going to be parachutes, uh, just because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that's the reality of it. Um, you know, soft is really good about jumping, right? But, uh, or at least on the SOCOM side is what I mean. But, you know, when you talk about PJs jumping in air combat command, like, they they really push the limit because they invest in a lot of test squadrons. Like there there's what two I know there's one test at Nellis. I think there's another Nellis. one, right? Is that is that the only one? So there's so there's there's the special project office and they work hand in hand with the test for development and they're constantly looking for new gear in order to procure for the for the air forces. So they kind of work on the same thing, that gear procurement and best practice. But you're totally right. The amount of parachutes that you see on the ACC side, because they focus on and if you, again, think about the mission set, you know, for SOCOM, if we're going to do a hey-ho or a halo insertion, you need a shoot that's better suited for that. If you're going to start looking at, I need to jump out into the open ocean to an unmarked DZ, and I'm going to be carrying 500 pounds of gear, and I have different employment needs, then we're going to look at different things, especially when you talk about ram air static line parachutes. When uh, uh, Moffat, the PJs at, at Moffat are, are notorious for their open water jump mission capabilities they are savants when it comes to jumping and they have different shoots because of it yep and and you need there's it's different equipment for different mission set for different requirement based off the the mission the threat um you know the level of training you have like it 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 goes to a whole bunch of different things so um what about uh how about radios you guys pretty much running the same radios between rqs and sts same, same. I was running, you know, the, the 152. So I'm going to date myself a little bit, but the 148 gem was the heat. And then the 160 or the 152 came next and that kind of replaced it. And I hated it for a lot of different reasons. And then I got used to it. And now we're switching out again to the 163. And then you'll see it again. We're about to switch to a different one. So it seems like we're just adding antennas. The new one, the new one has four antennas on it, you know, um, you know, but some of the, some of the technology that we include, again, the first time that I, I ever really had an ATAC that I used every single time. So you see it on somebody's chest, they flip it down. They've got a tablet for blue force tracking. The first time I really used one, it, they just didn't exist at the 321st. And then here at the 22nd STS at Joint Base Lewis McCord was the first time that I really got into it and hit it. The rescue units, however, are using that now too. Yeah. And the cool thing about it is you guys are not like, they're not just using it for blue force tracking. Like there is medical software that you can, you know, put a, a, Pulse ox, oh, man. I'm really, I'm really stretching here. Pulse ox and, you should, and yeah. all these other oh, things. Oh man, look at that, you! That can Bluetooth to the ATAC so that a PJ can monitor yeah. simultaneously several patients just from their device. So let me wow you a little bit more. What you're talking about is called Bat Doc. I can put a puck on a patient's chest, up to ten of them, and on that ATAC, it can tell me who's the sickest by giving me their vital signs, and then I can transfer that patient digitally. 
I can essentially take my phone, I can use a little card or I can send it via Bluetooth or we even have Bluetooth printers that I can hit print and there's no, it prints it out on your normal TCCC casualty card and it, it, it's perfect. Or you can hand it digitally to people and that connects instantaneously to the cloud. So the people that are gonna receive your patient can see that. We can do things now that are light years ahead of what we, you know, I, I just, I laughed at the place where I saw a bat doc picture because it was a picture it was a picture of me doing a mass casualty and I was writing a patient's number on their head with a marker. That's where, and I, I laughed. I was like, first of all, I want photo credit. And second of all, look how far we've come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think we brought it up. I think it was with uh, retired chief uh, McCoy. Actually, we talked about how, you know, war's a, war's a bad thing. Right. But at the same time, like our medical practices and TTPs and the medical technology, just, just in that alone, um, from when we first started 9-11 or, or the global war on terrorism to now, light years ahead. Not just, I, I mean, we're talking prosthetics, uh, amputations, tourniquet procedures, all the TTPs. I mean, you guys are compartmentalization, uh, was it compartmentalization syndrome or something like that? Um, you know, where there's yeah, com compartment syndrome, yeah, compartment right. syndrome, yeah. um, to, to all the, the pelvic, um, tourniquets and you guys are Junction carrying junctional yeah, tourniquets. Yeah. You guys are carrying blood. I mean, it's crazy now, but you ne right. never would have dreamed of it mm -mm. at the beginning it, of GWAT. Let's get really stupid. It's not science fiction peaches. We really do this, <laughs> but, but it's on both sides of the house. Everybody does that. So yeah. no matter where you are, we're going to leverage technology, whether you're on the ST side of the house or whether you're on the pair, you know, the ACC side of the house, you're going to, and, and guard reserve as well. You're going to leverage that technology to best suit the mission that you're going after. Yeah, exactly. Um, how about vehicles? Are you guys running with the same vehicles uh, between the RQS and ST? little bit different. So you're going to start all the way down on ST. You're going to start at those little 50cc mini bikes, which are awesome to ride. And, and you got the little bit, you know, the bigger bikes. I actually trained on some pretty big bikes uh, to start my career all the way up to, you know, Christini or, or kind of like the new vehicles. We have side-by-side -side razors. We have the SOCOM has a, a, a trigger platform. It's a, it's a larger vehicle. And then what we call the, the Storm or the SRT uh, Storm, I believe it's called SRTV, um, which is the, uh, the the big vehicle that you're seeing for tyranny of distance. We have access to, and that doesn't include up armored vehicles and gun trucks and all these other things on the SD side. On the ACC side of the house, they have a complement that is about the same, but what they're focusing on is access to patient and cutting down on the tyranny of distance. So everything they have, they have a lot of the same things, but we have those those dirt bikes so that we can throw them out of a plane and we can do that global access, that, that airfield seizure mission a lot easier because you don't want to have to run the airfield. You're never supposed to run your pace count, but you're, um, <laughs> uh, so we have, we have vehicles that help us get after those things right on, on the ST side of the house. And they're purpose built from, you know, quads to the little, the little mini bikes, you know, it's not just cool. I mean, it does look funny to have a really big controller riding a very small bike. It's, or it's a little, or a little controller riding a very big bike. That very big bike. <laughs> yeah, I imagine you couldn't even touch the ground. It can. I got to, I got to start I, off to the side. I got to start <laughs> off to the side. Go. You're, you're starting into the turn. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, but on the ACC side of the house, it's the same thing. You know, everything has, and you know, specific modifications for that event. And on the ACC side of the house, you also have waterborne stuff. You have a lot of boats. We have your classic black boats. They used to be Zodiacs, but now they're called wing boats. And we can throw those from an aircraft. We can launch them from a larger ship. 
on the ACC side of the house, they also have advanced rescue craft. Now these look like really, really powerful, really fast jet skis, but you're not allowed to call them jet skis. They're advanced rescue crafts or arcs. We can throw those out too. Those are highly mobile. You can get two, two PJs and a patient on them. We have sleds that are built so we can recover patients that have, have fallen into the water. And if you couple that with a wing boat, you're doing, you're doing some good work out there yep. in the water. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I completely forgot about the arcs, but those are mm -hmm. uh, definitely not jet skis and definitely a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No fun. It's all training, uh, you know, figuring out how to do a J turn in a lock in Scotland with our favorite guy, J Mac. Um, I distinctly <laughs> remember being told you're not allowed to have fun on these. This is training. And I said, who y'all sergeant? Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, how about uh, assets in terms of aircraft? Um, so I know that like you have 60s that are assigned to RQS units. Uh, I mean, they're, they're their own units as well. So it's not like the PJs own them. They are part, they're right. a packaged complement, just like an HC-130 right. is part of the, the rescue complement. Um, right. So will you hit that real quick? And then I, I can touch on the, uh, the aircraft on the SOCOM side of the house. Sure. From the ACC side of the house, if you want to think of it, they call it the rescue triad, right? So one of the legs is the, the 130 community, the other leg is the 60 community, and the third part of that triad is the, the rescue community, and that's the actual people that fly on it. So primarily, you're going to work on 60s and 130s. That doesn't mean that you're not going to work on 22s or any sort of other aircraft. A handy thing about uh, ACC, because it is so flight-centric, you're actually, and it's a, a geeky thing, but it gets after the capability that we want usually you're assigned to an aircraft. When you're an air crew member, like you are in ACC, usually you have an aircraft that you fly on all the time. In our air crew block, it says various. That means we can get on any aircraft, we can figure out how to work it, we can figure out how to employ from it. And we're actually, in, in the history of our career field, in the mission statement, we started off as air crew gunners and scanners on fixed and rotary wing aircraft, capable of performing flight following duties, and in-flight medical care. That was part of our old mission statement. And the ACC side of the house is very beholden to that history. And, and the primary one, as we see, that the new version is the Fat Wendy. Uh, but right now, um, you know, the 60s, not too long ago, ended up leaving, um, you know, a deployed location on the Horn of Africa, and they were replaced with 22s. If you remember, the, the rescue team from that area did a very successful rescue where they rappelled down to a ship and that was out. Of, a, of an MV-22, of actually a, a marine variant of a tilt rotor aircraft. 22s are the, the Ospreys with the, the two rotors. So those are the primary ones, but the point of being a, a pararescue man in ACC or a combat rescue officer, for that matter, is being able to operate. If it flies, we can work on it, we can jump out of it, and we can call it in. That's a great way to think about it, but there, there's a lot of them. You can also cut it, too. <laughs> you can cut it. <laughs> you, yeah. Any of those aircraft I, can be cut. You can cut any of them one time, you know? <laughs> it's just like I can always guarantee a landing. I can guarantee a land one time. <laughs> I can guarantee it. It's coming down. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's you know, there's an, ax there's an axiom in bleeding, too. Don't worry. All bleeding stops eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, yeah, and on the SOCOM side of the house, you know, you, you have your standard MH-47s, MH-60s. You have your MC-130s, um, your CV-22s and that kind of stuff. And And like you said, you know, Various. It's in the name. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. or maybe not it's in the name. It's it's in the definition of various, meaning multiple. So yeah. it could be any kind. And, you know, you brought up the Marine 53s, which is a, a great point. 
Because mm-hmm. man, I miss those MH53s that Alsac used to have. Hey, we I, I've spent a good amount of time. I've been scared out of my mind on those. I've slipped <laughs> all over the floor. That's why I grew up on them. My my favorite quote about the old 53s, the old pave lows, as they were as they were called, and you know they had to pave hawk after that. But when you're on the the pave low, you'd you'd say, oh no, there's a leak over here. Is that a bad thing? And the flight engineer would tell you, no, 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 no. That means we actually have fluid. I need to tell you, you need to tell me if it stops leaking because yeah. that means we're out of fluid yeah. and I have to add something. That's not a joke. <laughs> That's not, that is definitely not a joke. <laughs> no, crazy. Okay. Um, so going to deployment cycles, uh, deployment cycle for ACC or RQS. So they're, they're basically the same. The time differences are a little bit wacky because the ACC side of the house is aligned to the aircraft and their operational tempo, right? We're not, I'm trying to stay away from using acronyms. Where the ST side of the house is a little bit different, we're aligned to the AFSO 4 Gen training cycle, and that's the AFSOC Special Operation Forces Generation Cycle, right? So you can it can be fast, it can be slow, and then depending on if something pops up that pulls you out of that deployment cycle, Hurricane Katrina, Hurricane Harvey, all, all these things are great examples of you were on a training cycle and it could be, usually it's anywhere between 12 to 20 months. So when we were, when I was at, at Vegas, we took, I had a deployment every year like clockwork. I would have a deployment, I'd get home off my block leave. I would leave about eight months later, I'd pull a four month deployment or so, and that would be my year. And I did that for three or four years in a row. There's a little bit more of a deployment training cycle that's a, a little bit more predictable, like the one we're on now. But that actually extends out to, to the back end of that, to more like 20 months. So again, it, it matters on who you're supporting and, and what mission it is. And then that's always subject to change. So it's always subject to something happening where this unit was in their committed phase. And not only did they have people downrange already, but oh, by the way, something happened. A great example is, uh, you know, looking at the rescue squadrons during the fall of Afghanistan that we talked about, the H. Kaya uh, episode that we talked about with Chad McCoy the Vegas team are the people that blew out the door to go do that. So they, they were ready to go and, and, you know, let this, they're on, on call that we need to be ready to go in 72 hours. And they lived up to that and absolutely crushed it. Yeah. That, I mean, dude, to, to say that all they did was crush it is an understatement. Those J's out there and then the CCTs and SR dudes that were out there running the airfield too. And then of course the mm-hmm. other folks, man, mm-hmm. just doing amazing work. So hats off to yeah. you. Um, well, and, it, and it's funny how those cycles match up because, uh, we had teams that were over there too, and that were doing a different mission in the same area. So it, it was crazy to watch them not only work in concert, but work at the same time and do a different mission. But that goes to that whole shared understanding of what each other do and, and that mutual respect, because it's not just based off of PJ to PJ, CCT to CCT. I mean, it goes across the board from ODAs, SEAL teams, uh, Marine Raiders, to 82nd airborne like it doesn't matter everybody's there to do a a freaking job and you get it done and you'd be a professional about it yep so that's a that's a whole nother episode there but uh, a whole nother one yeah (laughs) so uh i'm gonna kind of put both of us on the spot a little bit um because what i want to talk about is basing right so um the st side of the house is pretty easy you know for bases Mm -hmm. that that ST PJs are at, you know, you're talking about your Herbert Fields in Florida, your Pope Army mm-hmm. Airfield in North Carolina, your Joint Base Lewis McCord in Washington, um, your Cannon Air Force Base in New Mexico. You've obviously got your UK, 
or United Kingdom, Japan, and then you got your two guard units, Portland and uh, Louisville, Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I I don't think I'm missing any for the ST side, but I am going to need your help on the RQS side of the house because you know you gotcha. have, you have your normal your your Moody's, Las Vegas, North or New York, um, mm-hmm. Alaska, Tucson, Arizona, Italy, Japan, yep. Cocoa yep. Beach. And you were that, doing so and good. That, and now I'm like, I got nothing. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So the only one that you miss is they actually do have PJs right now. What's called the Block 40 is kicking off at the 2-1. So they're about to get PJs as well. So the 2-1 STS. So all the 2-series units now have pararescue men attached to them. So ST side of the house, you crush it. So on the Garden Reserve side of the house, you've got Garden Reserve teams, um, you know, respectively at Alaska, DM, Moffitt, which is in San Jose, California. So DM is in Tucson, Arizona. Moffitt is in outside of San Jose, California. Uh, up at J-Bear is the Alaska guys. You've got Cocoa Beach, Florida, and that's your Cocoa team. And then as you go further up the coast, you have New York, the 103rd yard, right? So then active duty, we typically refer to it as the big three. You've got Vegas, and that's the 58. You've got Tucson has an active duty unit, that's the 48th. And then you have Moody, that's the 38th, and that's in Valdosta, Georgia. Overseas units, you crush it. We've got Aviano, Italy, and that's the 57th RQS, 56th RQS. I can't, I think, I think, I think it's the 57th because it used to be like the 56th. Um, it used to be the combined squadron. So I think it's the 57th now, but I'm actually not that sure because they moved. And then you have the, um, the uh, rescue unit out at Okinawa, Japan. So, and that's the 31st RQS. Yeah, I told you that one was going to be challenging because I actually either going from West Coast to East Coast or or, or having yeah. a list. You're kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I know these guys. I know they're out yeah. there and they're doing good work. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember the Nellis guys, the guys out in Las Vegas blowing out um, several times for rescues up in Zion National Park yeah. in Utah up there just yep. – and Charleston, Mount Charleston – just always mm-hmm. doing stuff uh, up there. And I know the Alaska guys are always out getting people. Well, and that's the cool thing about being a PJ. And, and it doesn't matter where you work in ST or if you work in, you know, the guard and the reserve, or if you're at the rescue unit, like if you're home, you maintain an alert commitment. We're on alert right now mm-hmm. for stuff that can happen in the, in the Pacific Northwest. And that's at an ST. And, you know, we work right up the road from Portland. They have a stateside mission as well that they're doing stuff. And you know, Alaska, that's the preponderance of their work. I think during rescue season, which is every single year, I think for like seven months, they do something like 2.5 rescues a week. I'd have to look at the numbers on that. Somebody call me out. I'm, I'm sure you will. But, you know, there there have been people, I, even at Kirtland as an instructor, and we haven't even talked about where you can instruct, you know, because you can instruct it at free fall school, any one of the schools that we have, you can you can work at all those. And it's, it's too long to list for, for this thing that we're doing. But I actually got uh, three or four missions out of Kirtland as an instructor. And we got weight, you know, we, you know, I was the op soup for more than that. So I went on, I think two missions out of Kirtland, um, for personal recovery. And then, um, we had, I think three or four more during my time that other teams went and did. So you always have that possibility. You can get called at any time. Yeah. That's from an ST or a, or a rescue. Yeah. And it's, and you always got to be ready. Like, I mean, I, I'd be guessing here if you, if I, if I'm a less, talk about the guys on the teams right now but i mean even i still keep a med kit and i'm not a medic but i keep a med mm-hmm. kit in my car i've got numerous tourniquets yeah. in every single one of my yeah. cars and at the house just in mm-hmm. case because you never know what you're going to roll up on and i'm not talking about blowouts for alerts i'm just talking about like 
hey, you're rolling down your neighborhood and there's a fire or you come across a, a car accident or something like that that mm-hmm. you need to do some work on. You could save somebody's well, life. I, well, I had and a great story about this, about how PJs are always ready that others may live. I had good friends that were working at DM. They were at the active duty unit. They were driving back. There was a huge dust storm and it was essentially a mass casualty on the highway. I had a good friend that's a team leader of mine that got up. They were training. They were at the wind tunnel. They were driving back to the unit and they found themselves in this mass casualty scenario and thank goodness they were ready. And they actually saved everybody, every single viable patient out of that thing that wasn't dead when they got there. They saved every single one of them. And that was at the end of the day, just ready to go. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, cool. Which bar are we going to? Okay. Yeah. yeah hey, that was fun. Who's car are we taking? Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a thing. Let's, uh, let's continue this ride home. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, dude. Like I said, it's going to be short, fast and furious, lightning rounds. Um, I think we, I know we didn't cover everything, but I know that we hit a lot of the information and I kind of based some of these questions and topics off of comments and, and DMs that we've gotten. So I think we've done it justice, hopefully for all the sure. viewers and listeners out there. Uh, parting shots before I close this out. So the only thing I'll say that we didn't cover is people constantly ask us, well, can I go to this cool school? Can I go to this cool school? I think you can answer your own question. Can PJs be snipers? Yeah, 100%. When you work at the STS, we can send you to a long range precision engagement course. You could be a sniper. Does it make sense for the only person on your team that's a medical professional to also be carrying the long gun? Probably not. So when you think about those schools, yeah, we can go to a lot of schools. It it would blow your mind if I sat you down and told you what we could do. But just remember what we're there to do. The capability of a PJ is to provide a pararescue, technical rescue specialty and gold level trauma medicine to the team that we support. And that's either on the ACC side of the house or it's on the ST side of the house. So these cool schools, yeah, you always have the opportunity to go to these things. I have friends that jump routinely jump. 500 pound barrels out of planes that are filled with equipment and you can get to it's called military tandem um, and tandem bundle course so they can jump personnel they can jump dogs they can jump bundles they can jump anything that you need in there right you're going to have the ability to go to those but we're here as pararescue men to save life and aid the injured that's part of our motto and that's part of our mission statement and that's what we're here to do so when you think about those cool schools and i'll just put it out there just think does it make sense if it doesn't make sense you probably don't need to be focused on that. If you want to be a sniper, there's plenty of career fields that'll let you focus on that sniper, but we want PJs. Yep, exactly. It's just like us wanting controllers and SR. I guess the only other thing that I can think about, and you helped remind me of it, is the the transferring back and forth from, from RQS to STS mm-hmm. and, and vice versa. So, I mean, it, unless you know something I don't, that is just a an assignment process, right? Because yep. we all, we you know, whether it's an RQS PJ or an STPJ, they go through the same ANS, the same pipeline. Everything's the same. It's just an assignment mm-hmm. process. So, hey, yep. you're getting, this PJ is getting assigned to Air Combat Command. This PJ is getting assigned to AFSOC. The next assignment cycle, they could swap. Or, you know, if he wants to stay in special tactics for another assignment, he can. Or, you mm-hmm. know, vice versa. It doesn't matter. I mean, there's there's yep. plenty of PJs that have never been in an ST unit and mm-hmm. probably a handful of PJs on the ST side that haven't been to an RQS. Pretty sure most of them have by now then, if, at yep. least as long as there are like three assignments in. There's a handful. I can think of two or three names off the top of my head right now, um, for sure. And it's, if you remember genetically superior Nick from our unit back in the day, Nick has never left ST. He, he grew up there. He was born there. It was his first assignment. And now he just got another one. So yeah, you can stay in ST your whole career. You can stay in ACC your whole career. And 
listen, a PJ is a PJ is a PJ. We have to train to different mission sets and those mission sets require different capabilities and, and different equipment and they require different employment methods on different aircraft. But in the end, we're here to provide the Air Force gold standard and the DOD, as a matter of fact, we're the only force that is specifically trained, equipped, employed, and deployed to get after personnel recovery is our only job that we train to 24-7, period. That is what we do. So that's who we are as pararescuemen. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the genetically superior to everybody. Nick. He is. I, tell, I just, man, I don't think it's up for debate. No, man, <laughs> wish I could let you guys know who he is and see pictures of this Adonis, but uh, yeah. Late. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, everybody that joined in, appreciate you tuning in. Make sure you're following us on Instagram and subscribe on YouTube. Hit the subscribe, hit the like, hit the notification button. That way you get notified whenever these videos drop. If you feel like you want to, no pressure, but uh, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. If there's a certain topic that you want to be addressed, hit us in the DMs, the comments. Um, you know, just shoot us an email at info at onesready.com. We do have merch live on onesready.com. And I think uh, thanks to Aaron, you can access that through the Instagram store. So again, yep. come out there and buy it. These shirts are available as well as a whole bunch of Ooh. others. Yeah, that's spicy. Ooh, All that's right. spicy one. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. All right, train hard, y'all.